This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Well, hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio, and it is almost the end of April, so it's been just crazy this month, and I'm very happy to say that we're almost to the summer, and I kind of look forward to it because then I can relax a little bit. I know my kids aren't, you know, there's no assignments that are going to surprise us on Sunday night, Um, and it also gives me time to actually sit back and really catch up on a lot of the reading that I have missed. And so one of the books I would suggest you pick up this summer um, is A New Mantra. And this is a debut novel by a brand-new author to me um, and to you because she's a, new, she's a debut uh, novelist. Her name is uh, Satna Srivansan. No, I know I said that wrong. Um, tell me again, Satna, how to say the last name. Yeah, sure. It's uh, Satna Srinivasan. Srinivasan. Okay, I'm going to write this down Perfect. so I don't mess that up again. Okay, so Satna lives <laughs> in Seattle, Washington with her perfectionist husband and perfect daughter. Her name in Hindi means dream, and true to its meaning, Satna finds gratification in dreams and storytelling. She was born in southern India, raised in northern India, and spent a better part of her life in the United States. She therefore unabashedly crutches, clutches to Indian roots while embracing the American in herself. She loves to cook traditional Indian food, and yes, she uses cilantro in practically everything. We're going to get along beautifully for that. When she isn't cooking, writing, or being intellectually stumped by her daughter, she may be found running down the nearest trail by her Pacific Northwest home. The inspiration for her debut novel, A New Mantra, has been on her has been her journey, own journey as both a woman of color and a runner, and the latter sport being latter being a sport that was introduced to her by her husband. You can find her at her website, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, BookBub, and Tulay Publishing. She is a fellow Tulay author, which I'm super excited about. Welcome to the show, Satna. How's it going today? Thank you so much for having me. Very exciting. Absolutely. So you spent, I mean, you, you it says here that you've had a lot of time, and uh, you spent most of your up to, like, college years in India mostly, and then came into the United States? Or were you back and forth? Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. Um, So I um, did my uh, bachelor's in India uh, from the University of Delhi. And um, right after I graduated uh, uh, my college there, I got married. I met my husband. Uh, It was a traditional Indian Mm -hmm. arranged marriage. Uh, Parents set us up, and I met him. And he felt perfect, and I felt it felt ready, and it felt right. And I got married. Um, Mm -hmm. So I married young, and then I moved to the United States uh, when I was 21. Okay. And you had all that going on. So I know that a lot yeah. of people still talk about, um, yeah, um, a lot of people still talk about the traditional Indian marriage and arranged marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this mm-hmm. can be relatively foreign to a lot of people mm-hmm. who don't have that in their culture. Um, so when people ask you about it, what is the most common question that they ask? I think the one that I've I've had a few questions asked about it and I absolutely agree. Uh, it's something very, uh, foreign outside of, you know, um, cultures that have that when you come move to the West, when I moved to the West, um, that was one of the top questions I got. And the main one is why would you do that? Sure. Sure. Um, 
and I and I think the reason for that question is very very fair. I think um, because the setup of an arranged marriage is you don't really know the person you're marrying. Um, you know, your parents set you up, uh, and you meet them, and in a short period of time, for meet with thirty minutes. Uh, you decide whether or not you want to spend the rest of your life with that person. And it, that is the construct of an arranged marriage. And so naturally, um, that I feel like that is a question that, uh, you know, that, that people are bound to ask. And that is the one that I get the most is why would you do something like that? That's right. crazy. Well, but, I mean, it, again, it's you're talking about, yeah, I live here in the United States, but everybody, every country mm-hmm. has their own culture. Um, and so mm-hmm. there is, I think, in some ways, and maybe I'm just making it very simple, but there is always influence within families of who mm-hmm. you marry. So this is just a different part of that. It's just a different yeah. level of that, I would think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, That's a good way yeah. to look at it. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but it's but it is nice that, you know, you talk about, you know, it's worked out so beautifully. It's kind of a, a classic happily ever after type situation that you have. And that, that's mm-hmm. always wonderful. And, and with any couple meet, yeah. you know, and it, it's just mm-hmm. so wonderful. Um, and so yeah. you, moved to the, you moved to the United States. Were you always in the Pacific Northwest or did you guys move around at all? Yeah, so uh, we uh, when I got married and uh, came to the U.S., actually, I came to Boston. I That's where my feet landed. Um, and so uh, I lived there for uh, three years. I think it was about three, three and a half years maybe. Um, and I went to college there. I went to Boston College and got a master's degree. I was still young, you know, I was 21. So, yeah, so I got a master's in elementary education uh, from B.C. Um, and then my husband actually, um, when he got a job at Microsoft, then we decided, oh, yeah, let's do Seattle. Seattle's awesome. So we decided to move to Seattle. Right. Yeah. Oh, just like you went to two extremes, like each coast. Um, yeah. But about the same latitude. So I guess you, you're familiar with the weather, so you didn't have to worry about if you had the right clothes <laughs> to start off. You had sweaters. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. And I can tell you, I've seen um, – no, so the weather in Boston is just, of course, I'm sure you know this, and it's, it's, so when I sort of look at snow versus rain, I would take Seattle weather any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Okay. Um, it is, I prefer okay. rain to snow. It's just easier to handle for me wow. personally. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we rarely get snow in San Antonio, mm. Texas, but um, mm. we have, mm. you know, we've have gotten some last few years. But rain, oh yeah, we get we, we get plenty yeah. of yeah. awful awful big thunderstorms. So I get it. Um, <laughs> when you were in Boston, what were your some of your favorite places to go hang out? Because I, my very good friend lived in Boston for a while, and she I went up there one year because we were heading to Maine, and she mm-hmm. um, was showing me all around. And there's all these wonderful little neighborhoods and places to eat. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no way you could eat everything you wanted to on one trip. Mm-hmm. I mean. You'd be so gluttonous. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, but what are some of the yeah. favorite spots that you would love to go visit or love to go hang out? Yeah, you know, I was lucky in that um, 
so my husband had like a whole map of ideas as far as, you know, what he wanted to show me. He'd been in the U.S. longer than I had. And so when I arrived, okay. we uh, spent, yeah, we spent a good portion of our first couple of years, uh, you know, just traveling. And like you said, you're absolutely right, is that a lot of places can be reached uh, in a short road trip from Boston. And so one of my favorite yeah. ones was Newport. I absolutely mm -hmm. loved uh, touring the Newport mansion. It was amazing. Um, and so okay. uh, that was, that was, yeah, that was, that's probably one of my favorite ones that I did. But we, in general, did a lot of short road trips um, to Salem, and we did Maine, and we did pretty much Rhode Island. Every, everything that could be covered in a short road trip from Boston, we did it. So it was right. fun. Did you hop the train at all? Did you take the train at all? Uh, you mean like the commuter rail train? Well, the train and also from state to state because you could, you know, you can jump out the rail up there and then you had you can head to New York or D.C. or, I mean, there's so many places you can go on that. Yeah. Yeah, most, I yeah. think we did more, I think we flew wherever we flew, but um, otherwise we would just uh, do those longer drives. I don't think we, funnily mm -hmm. enough, I don't think we did a whole lot of uh, real tours. Yeah, uh, oddly enough, yeah, not very, things funny. <laughs> I don't know why, yeah, um, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's a really cool way to travel too. I mean, you know, because um yeah. it like I would go visit my friend every year up there um in Maine and and I kept killing myself trying to fly into to Portland. Um and you mm -hmm. have to like two sometimes at least two legs of your flight. And so she finally said, yeah. "Why don't you just fly to Boston, you know, and I'll just beat you there." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, well that makes yeah. sense." And then we just took the train yeah. back to Portland. So easy. It's like wow. Yeah, yeah. Drive everywhere. Like you have to have a car. You drive everywhere. So it's just it's crazy. Um, so yeah. that that opportunity is not there for us yet. Hopefully soon <laughs> we'll have trains. More trains. That would be cool. Okay. So yeah. you yeah. have your elementary education. You in that mm -hmm. time period. You now, like say in the next ten years after you come to the United States, you have your daughter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, you're doing the mom thing and you're all this other stuff. When does writing a book, um, you know, gel in your brain? And then what was the catalyst to make you sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to write this? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, the, the honest truth is I've been a writer longer than I do it. Um, you know what I mean? I, I started to write when I was um, much younger. Um, I was about maybe eight, nine years old. I would just uh, write stories and I would just write them down in my diary with no real goal as far as, oh, I'm going to do this with this story when I'm done. You know, at that age, you're not really thinking about beyond that action, what you're, what you're doing, what you're engaging in at that moment. moment. And so, um, I used to write stories and I would share it with people. And so I have to say that I, I just instinctively turned to writing to um, express myself. And um, sure. it was just uh, more of a, a method of um, 
expressing my emotions when things were beyond, you know, uh, when, when my emotions, especially if I couldn't understand them. And when you're a child, you go through, uh, you know, phases where you feel like you're internalizing more emotions than you're expressing. And I, I was one of those kids. I, um, uh, was very self-aware and I was absorbing a lot of information around me, people's emotions. And so I tended to think more about, you know, people's emotions and how people react to me or how I'm, you know, my sort of my place in, you know, um, in the greater scheme of things. And so I was processing a lot in my head. I was the sort of kid that processed a lot in, inside her head but didn't talk about it as much. And so I naturally pivoted uh, toward writing um, stories as a way of expressing myself. And so that instinct has just always been alive inside me. Um, and so uh, while I was juggling being a mom and doing my day job and all of that, I think there were pockets in my day and in my life when that instinct would kind of come over me and I would just put pen to paper and just go with the flow. I've just been that kind of person who just goes with instinct, goes with intuition. When, when I feel it, I just right. act on it. Um, and I and I think uh, that being said, it wasn't planned. I didn't plan to, I didn't have a map, uh, you know, as far as, oh, I'm going to write this book by this time. I just went with that instinct, uh, and that's that's basically how I've always been when it came when it comes to writing. Right. So when you decided you're going to do this, um, like to actually mm-hmm. con- sit down and write this story that's probably been brewing in your head for quite some time as it mm-hmm. tends to go, um, mm-hmm. where did you find the information to know how to not only write but to submit and market? And because all that is, all those are totally different venues that you need to know for uh, for mm-hmm. being a writer. You are so right about that. Um, and you know, uh, I think part of uh, be, being a writer, it's, it's I think it's there's a difference between being a writer. To me, if you if you write a story, if you express yourself through words on paper, you're a writer. But I think being an author is just a totally different ballgame. I think um, when you write, you're just right in the comfort of a bubble. You're not really looking to impress. Uh, You're just writing. You're just going with the flow of your feelings and what your, you know, those instincts again. Um, But then being an author is different. Uh, Being an author means you're actually you know, showcasing your work, you're taking it out to the world, people are reviewing it, uh, you have to market it. Um, so to answer your question, Patricia, um, th- the first part, again, was just instinctive. I just, uh, I didn't take any courses or anything. I've never taken a writing course um, other than what I learned in school about comprehension and writing passages and things like that. Um, I didn't really take any courses. I just acted on, I think uh, for me, the way I, I, I've always told a story is the way I've wanted to hear a story um, being told to me. I, I just uh, always mm-hmm. try to picture what do you, what, what would I, what would I want to hear? Like if I was, you know, sitting by a fireside listening to a story, how would I want it? Uh, how would I want that narrated to me or told to me? Um, and so I, mm-hmm. I just naturally tended to write the way I would want to read a story, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then the, the, 
Yeah, and then from that, you know, when it sort of morphed into something bigger than I had imagined, which is basically this book deal and then, you know, the whole series, which I hadn't really, uh, honest to God, I hadn't planned it, I hadn't thought about it, I had never imagined that would happen. So when it did happen, um, I think I just, uh, I, 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 I tried to research because I now I had to like now it wasn't about instinct now it was about practical doing and uh, you know doing due diligence and so I owed it to myself to do research and I researched um, a lot about you know how do you what do you do when you've written a book do you take it you know um, and so I pitched my book to um, uh, an editor at a writing conference, and from that came the book deal. Mm-hmm. And then from there, yeah, and, and from there, uh, the community that I'm part of, uh, the Thule, uh community, is just amazing, amazing authors, amazing support group. Um, and so I learned a lot from just listening to them, reading emails, and so, and of course, the research, and so I gathered more information on how to market it, how to, you know, build a website. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a website, uh, so just, you know, the A to Z, and I'm still learning. I'm just, uh, I'm still learning the ropes, uh, but yeah, for that part, I had to do more of the research and break away from instinct and just uh, make a to-do list and go down that list, I guess. Right. I, mean, it, I was even read, meeting with some writer friends last night, and, we're, and we were saying, okay, so what's working for you now? And we've all been doing this for well over a decade, mm-hmm. and everything changes mm-hmm. so quickly, with, whether it be social mm-hmm. media or where you post or what's working. And it also depends mm-hmm. on the genre of book you're writing and is it this. Or, and, and so yeah. um, what demographic are you going for? And so it's just a constant moving target. Um, yeah. And to have a community, like you're saying, of the Thule authors, which anyone who's listened to the show knows I adore my fellow Thule authors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you can throw something up there and say, hey, I need help with this. Someone will do yeah. it. Like, someone exactly. will help. And that's huge. Because yeah. you don't get that in every single um, creative group. You just don't. True. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good thing to have. So you've got this. Agreed. So tell, yeah. me about a new, tell me about a new mantra. Tell me about this this book. Yeah. So a new mantra is basically um, it's a story of um, redemption. It's a story of self discovery. And the 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 main protagonist, uh, my heroine Mira Sood, um, is uh, basically her, her, what happens in that what the the sort of the trigger that kicks the story into motion is uh, she is a, a quote unquote good Indian housewife. She's been bred to mm-hmm. be that person. Uh, she's been told that that is. Her, her goal in life is to be a good Indian housewife. And what that entails is to clean and keep a good house and support her husband and all of his dreams. And she's all right with that. She's, mm-hmm. she's been boxed into it. And she has, she's, you know, as they say, comfortably numb in that situation up until her <laughs> husband um, tells her that he's having an affair and he wants a divorce. And now all of a sudden, this uh-huh. world that she that was created for her essentially um, through an arranged marriage uh, falls apart. This is like her, all, all her eggs are in one basket and that basket is now just vaporizes. And so that is sort of the trigger right. point that's, that, that basically um, uh, gets the story in motion. Uh, and so uh, the basic um, narrative arc here is just how she has to now rebuild her life. And in the process, 
she just impulsively signs up for a half marathon and while training for it, and she's never run in her life, right? We're picturing this good Indian housewife who's done nothing beyond caring for her husband and her family. She's never done anything right. for herself. She's never been, you know, she's never thought outside the box, outside of that precinct. And so all of a sudden, now she just impulsively, as she's rebuilding her life, she just feels this moment of weakness, and she just goes for this thing um, that happens to come mm-hmm. her way. And in that process of training for her half marathon comes this second chance at love, and that is in the form of a white American guy named Andy Fitzgerald, and he's he's this sweet, amazing, supportive guy who comes her way. But the only problem is, here she is, she's trying to, you know, salvage her image in her community, which is shattered by her divorce. You, you don't get divorces right. in an Indian traditional Indian community like hers. Now, it's bad enough that that happens. Now, how can she now bring this guy in saying, oh, I'm now going to love this guy? No. So that's sort of the dilemma. And so the book basically... Yeah. Uh, tries to capture her journey and, um, you know, uh, tries to capture how and if she is going to find a way to, um, you know, discover herself and whether or not she's going to give love a second chance. But to do that, she's going to have to be braver than she was in the past. It's going to force her out of her box. And so uh, that's the challenge that she has, basically. And that's a hard one, isn't it? When we kind of get knocked down so hard, it's just like, man, I just yeah. don't know if I could. Because we build ourselves back up and like, man, if I fall again, I'm done. You know, and, and mm-hmm. hopefully a lot of us are able to get up. It may take longer than second time. It may take less time. Yeah. Because we, we may put up with less. Um, you never know, right. speaking from my own experience um, before I met my husband. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting, the dynamic that, seems to always be um, in any, like, self-discovery story um, is how am I going to make this work with the people around me who are expecting something completely different than what I want to do now? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And change is hard. And Mm -hmm. I think that's part of uh, the growth journey for all of us Um, and also for Rira is that change is hard and change requires us to be brave and take some big steps and that's going to ruffle feathers. And so it's not Mm -hmm. an easy thing to do um, for sure. Yeah, no, it's not Mm -hmm. at all. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, applaud anybody who does it because it's a hard thing. So, you know, anybody listening... (laughs) Just know that, you know, uh, this book's for you to, re- to get right now. Um, and, yes, I have links in the write-up of the show for you to find it. Uh, and so this is, a, this is the first book of, of four, right? That's correct. Yep, yep. There's three more yeah. in the series all lined up. <laughs> so, I mean, I can't imagine. So you've got, um, let's see, a Rebels mantra that comes out in July. And then you have a mantra from mm-hmm. the perfect that comes out January of next year. And a homecoming mm-hmm. mantra is still, we're still waiting to see when that will be released. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. you know, when you got that contract, can you, I mean, mm-hmm. what was your feeling when they called and said, okay, we're sending you the contract for this? I mean, what it, it was like, what? You felt like you got electrocuted or something, huh? It's like, this is so exciting. <laughs> Yeah, it was, I can tell you, it was surreal because, uh, well, first of all, when I pitched the book at the conference, I just, of course, see, look, I, want, I went in with a positive attitude and I was like, I'm going to give this my best shot. 
but you know what? I'm going to be realistic here. I mean, what are the chances, right? And of course, I did some research and saw the statistics. I probably shouldn't have done that before pitching the book, but I did. And the statistics (laughs) are great. You know, they're not. No, I shouldn't have done that, but I did. And um, so it wasn't a very compelling argument in my favor, but I just went in there and I swung hard. Um, And so when I got um, the email and the calls and I was like, oh my gosh. And I had to, I literally had to keep pace with the way things were flowing. Um, And so it started off with a cubicle contract. And and as I was talking to you, uh, my editor, my amazing, amazing editor, Sinclair, um, and she was like, we want you to do book Uh one and we want you to do book two. And I was like, whoa, wow, really? I mean, you want me to write another one? (laughs) And then that morphed into, uh, that in itself was amazing. And then uh, it morphed into three and four. And I was like, oh, I don't even recognize my life anymore. It's just, this has got to be a dream. <laughs> this, is, I, this is a wonderful feeling. It's really, it's a really wonderful <laughs> sure feeling. Um, so you've got all that you're going now. How is your uh, your daughter? Is she in high school? Is she graduated? Is she middle school? Where is she? In her brain, I think she is in college, but in reality, ah. she's nine and a half. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, she's nine Sounds and right. a half. <laughs> So she is much older, say, okay, much wiser. Yeah. 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 She's she's the sort of child. She's very, very I'm very lucky that way because I'm surrounded by people who are wise and amazing and beautiful inside out and I get to learn from them every day. And so she is one of those people that just uh, keeps me going, and she she's very, very wise for her years. I'm proud to say, and this is not just me being mommy. Moms always say that about their kids, but uh, sure, I, I really do mean it. She, she'll say things to me that makes, you know, that, that will sometimes make me stop and be like, you know, the other day she, I was just stressing about something, and she's like, Mom, just take a belly breath. And I'm like, oh, that's a good one. I should do that. I should hey, take a belly yeah. breath. Uh, you know. So, I think yeah, moms she's, she's do that awesome. more often than we allow ourselves. Oh, oh, that's so true. I agree. I do agree. We need that reminder, you know. It's, I feel like there there needs to be a manual override because we're just going so fast and we're always putting family first. It's just the instinct. But I think we need to override that instinct every once in a while to take that belly breath at least. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because mm-hmm. I was telling my friends last night, we were talking about Mother's Day coming up, and my husband, mm-hmm. he gets stressed out because he's like, I don't know what to get you because I'm more, you know, I don't, yeah. and I said, <laughs> and so one year he, he said, um, what do you want? And I looked at him, it was one of those moments where I just thought, I'm just going to tell him what I really, really want. Um, and <laughs> he, I said, I want no one to want anything from me for 12 hours. So I want to Wow, I love it. I would like breakfast. I would like breakfast in bed, and that I want no one to need anything from me until bedtime. And so he's like, really? I said, yes, that is what I want. And that's what happened. That's a hard one. It was the most blissful day ever. I sat in my jammies all day and watched TV, and nobody bothered me, and it was fantastic. Amazing. um, (laughs) I got the idea from my mom because – um, one year she was just really maxed and there's three of us and, and I have four. And so she was, she, my dad was in Houston. He's like, okay, kids, everyone get in the car. We're going down to Galveston. We're going to the beach for the day. And she stayed home. 
And she's like, okay. <laughs> and he came back and he's like, are you all right? She's like, yep, I'm great. <laughs> Dude, everyone's leaving. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, it's that okay. is so funny. Give yourself that yeah. space. It's okay. I promise. Oh. <laughs> so yes, that's so true. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. And, I, and like you're saying, yeah. I think we allow ourselves those moments as much as we probably should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is absolutely true. I think you're right. I, and you're so right because um, that does happen. I think every mom um, can relate to that is where they constantly hear, mom, 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 you know, it's very mm-hmm. natural, and uh, we respond to it, and it happens, but we just don't realize um, that we need those pockets of just complete peace where we have that moment, and we can just do whatever, read a book, do nothing, just, you know, look out the window. Wow. Just uh, it's, it's wonderful. I love that. That's a good one. I might steal that one this year. Yeah, use it. Anybody out there, you use it. You, you can add, make it 16 hours, <laughs> 24, I don't care. So just do it for yourself. <laughs> Um, it's interesting, though, because we do that and we say we need space. And then there's other times as, mm-hmm. as a mom, for me, I'm like, did I not teach you this? I don't understand. I thought I taught you this. <laughs> so it's you know, like you have to find yeah. a balance. Yeah. Because sometimes yes, definitely. it's way off kilter. Um, so you've got your book. And, and please tell me you've got these wonderful recipes in there because um, <laughs> I really, you know, cilantro I love. Um, but, you know, you've got really – wonderfully rich recipes in this and that you're talking about food because you know food is is one of those things that (laughs) it doesn't matter what culture you're in you can always Mm -hmm. everybody can always come together over a really great meal um Mm -hmm. so tell me something that you wanted to make sure was in your book a meal or a recipe yeah yeah um and i i agree with you in that i honestly uh one of the reasons I put all those recipes on there is because personally, I just, I love to cook. Um, for me, I mm-hmm. love to cook for my family and it's, uh, it's just the sort of, um, it's sort of an outlet for me where I, when I cook and I feed my family, I just, I just feel this sort of, I feel really good that day. And so, yeah. um, uh, that was part of the instinct. And then the, one of the things that I wanted to put in there was just comfort food. So like the tikka masala or the biryani, you know, things like that have a very, it's just comfort food in Indian culture. It's just, um, what we would, what, what my family would make, um, you know, on a rainy day when everyone's tired, you know, that's the sort of food that would bring us together, get us around the dinner table, get us talking, connect. And so I wanted to put recipes in there that are not like, you know, over the top crazy, but just things that that, that a family would want to eat, the kind of dishes that would bring a family together. That was really the goal. And I really Mm -hmm. just uh, went with my heart. I just put the recipes down there that I would like to cook for my family, that my family love to eat and that I love to eat. Um, and so, yeah, I just, again, for that one too, I went with my instinct. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because it's not just the food. I mean, we all know that because it, you know, food's wonderful, mm-hmm. but it's the whole memory. And then it, it's kind of like I, um, my grandmother was from the deep South and she would fry everything, you know, have this cast iron skillet and everything. <laughs> Anybody knows, you know, you started with a cast iron skillet, a scoop of lard, and then you decided what you were going to make. So right. you know, the cast iron skillet went to, like, I think my mom got the cast iron skillet, and then she had this little thing that she was a warmer, and it was just a little mm-hmm. oval thing, um, and we were doing an estate sale, and my brother was walking mm-hmm. through the kitchen, like, the night before everything went on, and he saw it. 
he's like, hey, how did we miss this? You know, and um, <laughs> aluminum is probably like really bad for us to have any food in, but um, we <laughs> bought down five bucks and, and took it. But it's that memory of her standing in the kitchen yeah. and putting it in there, the shrimp or the potatoes yeah. she fried or the whatever. And it's just that whole yeah. layering. Like if you see the recipe card, if you see the towel or the dishes. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. even if you are walking somewhere and you're like, oh, my grandma used to have dishes like this. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. all of that sensory. And it just layers and layers yeah. and layers. And so that food just yeah. ties it all together. So good. Absolutely. So that is so true. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and you're absolutely right. And it's very similar to Indian culture because, um, uh, you know, those are like those um, trigger points. Because I, if I smell something or if I even hear like a sizzling uh-huh. sound, uh, it, sometimes it just connects to a memory. And it oftentimes it's just, you know, when we were younger and we were those formative years. Um, uh, for me especially, I, I would always, you know, like when when my when I would come back from school and if I had any, you know, if I had like a big test or, you know, my grandmother would deep fry things for me and she would cook these things for me yep. that would you know like samosas and things like that and it's just a memory of that and and and, and of course with grandmothers I think we all have you know we've I, I bet we've heard stories or had you know, those experiences where you know our grandmothers would tell us a story while they cook it's a very thing it's a very uh, right it, that sort of thing happens a lot in Indian culture and I'm sure it does as well um you know um in the American South as well I'm sure for you uh Patricia yeah you know where where you know you talk and that's sort of the almost like a, a a ticket to, you know, open conversation. And my mom and my mom and grandmother would, you know, they would, as they were deprived of samosa, they would say, you know, when I was young, this would happen and that would happen. Uh-huh. And it's just the, it's it's just a warming feeling. And for me, I, I totally agree is that a lot of memory is attached to that as well. Oh, it's just, it's wonderful. I mean, now, you know, my brain is just on fire because <laughs> it's just going through all these different things that, um, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, my great grandmother, I was I had the um, I had the gift of her being around till I was nineteen, and um, she mm. made mashed potatoes. And my mom kept trying to figure out why her mashed, <laughs> my great grandmother's mashed potatoes were so so good. And uh, I stayed <laughs> with my great grandmother all the time. Um, and so she's like, mm. okay, so next time she makes potatoes, go in there and watch her make them because I got to know <laughs> what she's doing. And um, I, you know, I'm like. And I'm like, I don't know. She uses a glass to mash the potatoes because she would take a glass and she didn't want to, mm. her arthritis, she couldn't hold a mixer. So she would just use a glass and smash it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But it turns out she's mayonnaise. She's Hellman's mayonnaise in her potatoes. Oh. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. They and all now have I'm their like, secrets. oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> No mayonnaise, yeah, please. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so the second book is uh, the Rebel Mantra. Yeah. The, what? Tell mm-hmm. me, is this a continuation of characters within the first book, or is this a completely separate group of people that you're writing about? Yeah. So all of the books in the series are connected in that um, the 
okay. uh, the, the character in book two features in book one. So the character in book two, okay. um, the heroine, the main protagonist, Layla Sood, is uh, Mira's cousin, who's uh, the complete opposite of her, right? She is a rebel. Uh, she is um, a rock star by profession, but she's also a rock star in her mind is that she doesn't care at all about these traditions and customs, and she cannot understand why Mira would subject herself to that. And so um, I mm-hmm. wanted to put a sort of polar opposite spin on, you know, the, the, you know, the, the sequence of books. I didn't want it to be another character similar to Mira. I wanted her, I wanted the second book to sort of feature a strong heroine, just like Mira. Mira was strong in her own way, but I wanted um, the second, um, the, the heroine in uh, book two to be someone different from her personality-wise. And Layla just... Um, organically happened where I felt like, oh, yeah, this she should be in book two. I think book two should be about mm-hmm. Layla Sood. And um, essentially book two is uh, about how it's sort of an opposite scenario almost where Layla just does what she wants. She doesn't really care about culture or customs or any of that. And she gives, um, you know, her family a really hard time. And she just does what she wants. She just goes with her heart. Her, you know, she doesn't compromise. Uh, so then what happens when she meets this traditional, quote, unquote, um, every Indian mother's dream as far as a future son-in-law kind of guy. He's a doctor. Yeah. He's good looking. He's got money. He comes from a, um, uh, an affluent Indian American family in Seattle. He is the kind of guy that every Indian mother would want for their daughter uh, to marry. And so yeah. in Lila's books, this guy should not be anywhere, like she should not have anything to do with him, right? He, he is the opposite of what sure. she would go for because she's not a traditionalist. But then, you know, what happens when the chemistry sort of starts to bubble up between them? Um, so that's sort of the story in book two is what does she do then? Like, what are you going to do if yeah. chemistry bubbles up where you're not expecting it to? And it's sort of an opposite spin on, you know, uh, some of the things that come up in book one. It's sort of a, a little different take on those things in book two, essentially. Well, and, and it is. It's, it's, I think sometimes we don't expect, when we don't expect it, it's just one of those like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, hold on, you know. Um, and those are yeah. some of the most fun, passionate stories. Um, when the, yeah. the characters have no interest, <laughs> like no, thank you, and you're like, well, guess what? <laughs> it will happen. Exactly. You will like it. Exactly. You won't admit exactly. you like it right now, but you will. Um, oh yeah, exactly. So, and then you have book three is a mantra for Miss Perfect, and that is that yeah. another cousin or a sister? Yes, yeah, so it's another cousin. Um, so the still tell me is this large traditional Indian American family. So lots of cousins. And so um, Sahana Sood is uh, the main heroine in book three, and she features in book one, and she also features in book two. And she is the quintessential perfect overachieving cousin, right? And she is basically, she checks all the books. She's beautiful. She respects her traditions. She respects the elders in the family. She does everything that, you know, her mom wants her to, her, you know, her Indian, um, Indian American mom with all of those traditional um, views and everything. Um, But the only thing with for Sahana, unfortunately, is that she's been unlucky in love. She's just that's the only box that she hasn't been able to check for no fault of hers. She's just not okay. able to find that Mr. Right. Um, and so yeah. uh, book three is basically about how um, 
she sort of cha- she's challenged by that. She's she's got everything. Technically, she should be happy. She's technically got that perfect life, but with this piece missing, and this is a huge piece in uh, Indian culture. Is if you're not married, what what are you, what is all of this for? Um, it almost uh, negates all of the other things that she has achieved, uh, and so. Um, and so that's basically the the, the book uh, goes through her journey and her meeting this guy Ryan Mara who's who's he's half Indian he's half American his mom's American his uh, dad Indian and so um, he 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 has the potential to fill to help her check that box but she needs to overcome yeah. some some of her own challenges and you know sort of fight a few of her own demons to make that happen and so that's her challenge in book three. So when when you were plotting this out and you were seeing all these different characters as you're writing. Um, does is, is it kind of like oh okay yeah I can I can do that for this character later so just like you have a notepad and kind of write or post it do you just put them to the side and say come back to this later for this character how do you how do you organize them all you know it, uh, I've been lucky in that um, I I first of all I wanted the the characters in the various books to have some connectivity I know some authors are okay sure. with having um, each book be different and be separate, and that's that, and that, and that's awesome. Um, uh, but I'm one of those people that I feel like I need to have some connected. I'm sort of a little bit more. Uh, I, I, I'm hung up on that a little bit. So and so, sure. I wanted to have that, but I was lucky in that the characters as they as I developed them and as the story flowed. I felt like it happened organically for me. And so Layla just surfaced in book one as the natural uh, second heroine for book two. And then, but as I was writing book one and Sahana comes up in book one as well, it did cross my mind that I should maybe um, sort of tailor her character with possibly the, the you know, the, which the, you know, with the future possibility that she might have she might be a heroine in one of the books down the line. Um, right. So I try to, yeah, I try to do it. Um, I do take notes on the side as well, so I remember uh, why I did that or why I, you know, sort of had her <laughs> say something or not say something because you don't want them to be too outside the box. You want them to be relatable. And so um, even the right. uh, sub-characters in the book, um, if I am if I mean to put them in their own book down the line, I need them to be, you know, relatable. And so I try to do that as I write, and I also take notes, and some of it, uh, for me, happened organically as well. Nice. Nice. It's nice when they are, your characters are considerate and, and actually, like, talk to you and tell you what they're going to do. Because, um, <laughs> you know, there's always some that, that fight you. And, and it's nice to have people that, understand what you're saying they don't feel like they need to call someone to help you out I'm like no really they are (laughs) talking to me don't worry (laughs) you're like yes I know exactly what's going on (laughs) so what is on your uh, to be red pile what are you reading right now yeah you know, I'm uh, sadly I haven't been reading as much as I would like. But uh, one of the things I've been I, I've got on my uh, to be read pile is uh, Moon Witch Spider King by Marlon James. I'm seeing this on a lot of reading lists, and I'm just really curious to uh, get my hands on this book. I, I wanna I wanna give that one a try. Um, also, I I'm, I 
seen Book Lovers by Emily Henry come up a lot. I'm, I'm curious about how, when that sounds like uh-huh. such an awesome story. Um, so that's those are the two that I have on my list um, to read. Yeah. Hopefully right. I'll get to it soon. And do you, yeah. Right. Do you get a chance to even sit down and watch TV at all? Oh, my gosh. I, you know what? I swear to you, I cannot remember the last time I actually sat myself down in front of the TV. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing at this point. Um, <laughs> there, there was a time when I used to binge watch shows on my telly, and I, I honestly cannot remember the last time I sat down to actually watch a show. Um, I, I, Yeah. I don't know why. I think I don't know if it's because everything's, you know, app based now and I watch stuff on my phone. Um, but not uh-huh. for a whole long. Yeah, and I don't do it very long, maybe, you know, thirty minutes, just catch a quick, you know, uh episode here and there. But yeah, uh, life's just moving really fast. That's one that's probably one yeah. reason why um yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Of course. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's been so wonderful. Well, for everybody who's listening, um, I've been talking to uh, Satna uh, Srinivasan. Is that a say it right? Perfect. Ah, yay. Because I phonetically spelled it out for myself right there. Um, (laughs) So Satna Srinivasan, um, and her book is out now, A New Mantra. It is, and um, the next book will be out in July, and the next book will be out January 2023, and then the fourth book will be out after that, of course. But you can pick it up. Um, you can go to her website. I've got her Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, BookBub, and her Tulane Publishing page, um, all in the links of the write-up of the show, as well as the book. And so if people want to reach out to you, check her out on her website, and ask her if she might, you know, come and talk to your book club, too. She's got her info on there. So Check her out and, and uh, definitely come back. Please come back and talk to us again when your next one's coming out. Thank you. I'd love to. Thank you. Uh, yay. And this has been Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. Stay safe, everybody, and keep on reading. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.